0: Presented by T Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome
1: network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store
0: to make the switch today.
1: Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast, on WFAN and radio.com. Here's your host. Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and a belated Happy New Year to you all. Welcome to the first episode of 2021 of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com, and folks, given all that's been going on, boy, did we really need the Nets to step up. And with Kevin Durant stuck in COVID-19 contact tracing protocols for the last two games, and then Kyrie Irving deciding to sit out last night's primetime game versus Philly, that was far from a given. But the Nets, coming off a pair of really bad losses at home, came through with a pair of performances that frankly came out of nowhere, beating two very good teams in the Jazz and the Sixers, both by double digits. I'll get into all of that on this busy show with a few clips from Nets players and coach Steve Nash sprinkled in. And then I had a chance to catch up with one of my favorite writers, Mike Mazio, who's written some spot on articles about the Nets in the last couple of weeks for Forbes. We had a great conversation before last night's game, so I think you'll enjoy that as well. So, you know, like I said, the Nets were reeling last weekend their defense was in shambles, they were getting brutalized under the defensive glass, I was getting mad. You know, it's one thing to lose games cause KD and Kyrie had an off-shooting night, but you know, I wasn't buying the excuses. You know, just listen to what Nash had to say about the rebounding issues in this clip from last week. Hi Steve, uh, getting back to the rebounding issues, I, I guess it would be fair to say that some of them have been due to defense breakdowns where you're out of position but would you also say it's fair to say that Atlanta and maybe some of the other teams have been hungrier for the balls and uh, and that has contributed to it yeah I mean all of the above you know um, you know, I don't know that we're, we're built as a rebounding roster but we, we have other attributes and, and you know not every team not every championship team even has to be a You know the best top 10 rebounding team or anything like that so you know we we have to be hungry we have to recognize that it isn't a natural thing for us to go out and dominate the boards every night and we have to gang rebound and do it in numbers really not built to be a rebounding roster you're playing two guys who are nearly seven feet tall most of the time on the court you know durant and either jared allen or deandre jordan and you can only muster up the energy to rebound about two-thirds of opponents misses and by the way, you know, the top three teams in terms of defensive rebounding percentage last year Bucks, Sixers, and Heat. Lakers were 11th. Only winning team in the bottom five was Houston. That's because they played different. Not that important? No, there had to be something more to this. And you know what? There was. And, you know, there I gave Nash credit you know in my most recent column on WFAN.com those of you who didn't read it yet it was uh, about the lineup shakeup. you know how Nash swapped out four starters on Tuesday and then made it all five when Irving requested out on Thursday you know putting six-man Karis Levert in the starting lineup and I wrote that it was just what the defense doctor ordered you know get Bruce Brown in there for some defensive energy use Jeff Green more You know, at the four, not the five. Better rebounding team. And the funny thing is, remember how Nash would tell everyone, well, we're all so new to each other, it's going to take time. You know, on and on. Well, Nash was asked, you know, after the Nets held Utah to 96 points, whether that starting unit ever played together going back to training camp, and he said, that's a hard no. So how do you explain it then? I asked Jared Allen that very question, and here's the clip. Hi, Jared. Big game today. Uh, we've heard in the past that some of the defensive issues were due to the newness of the team. And then Steve said that the five of you never played together uh, going back to training camp. So what do you think was the key to how you looked more connected than maybe some of the other lineups?
0: Uh, I think we just went out there and did it. I don't think we thought about the scheme too, too much. You know, we still wanted the still play our defensive way but we went out there and played hard like played we all had each other's backs we all were ready to go
1: not a real detailed answer from Jared Allen there but you know it didn't need to be complicated there's no real change of schemes They just played harder of course uh, that night it sure helped to have Kyrie on his game early on man he was just marvelous the shot making the passing But, you know, what really stands out to me is the ball handling, the ease in which he can escape double teams, ability to create space and, you know, tight spaces. And I figured I'd ask Green about Irving since, you know, he's been around the league quite a bit. So here's Jeff Green on Kyrie. Hi, Jeff. You've been around a while and you've seen Kyrie for many years. Has there been any particular play this year where, you you know, you just said, wow, I can't believe he did that. I've never seen that
0: before. (laughs) I don't know where to start. To be honest with you, uh, uh, he's a magician with the ball, man. It's it's amazing to watch uh, the things that he can do out there on the floor. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, I've been on the opposite side of that for a number of years, uh, trying to contain him, uh, stay in front of him, but now seeing it up close and personal every night is it's it's a, it's a show every night, and I, I'm glad I can be on this side of it and you know rooting them on and helping them any way I can. Uh, but he he's a magician, man. It's, it's beautiful to watch. Uh, I'm glad I'm on this side of it this, this time around.
1: Again, that was Nets forward Jeff Green waxing poetic about what it's like playing with Kyrie Irving. Unfortunately, uh, Irving let the Nets know a little bit before Thursday's game that he wasn't showing up for work that night. And mm. I guess he's also missing tonight's game in Memphis. As I'm recording this, there's all kinds of scuttlebutt about his, quote, personal reasons and since I don't really know I'm not going to speculate I just hope he gets through whatever he has to go through and comes back ready to go and since there's some talk that Durant will be able to return in time for Sunday's game versus Oklahoma City well, maybe that's when Kyrie will be ready as well who knows anyway moving on to last night's matchup with Philly gotta tell you it wasn't looking too promising you know, kind of like a give up game Again, got to give Nash credit. Went to that same lineup that got off to a rip-roaring start against Utah, and they did it again through defense and energy plays. You know, shar sure, screaming about Nash letting the Nets play through some of the lulls without calling a timeout. But, you know, somehow they managed to withstand every Sixers run, and they took the lead for good in the second quarter and held on. Now, for those of you who are quick with the Sixers, we're on a back-to-back excuse, and that's were playing without KD and Kyrie. Come on, I mean, Lavert was the only shot creator remaining in the Nets lineup. It was like a return of the bubble Nets. Lots of TLC and Chris Chiosa. But, thankfully, it was also a lot of Joe Harris. Wow, I mean, every time the Nets needed a big shot, you know, he delivered. 28 points. 6 for 9 from 3. Just his second game coming off the bench after something like 169 straight starts. Folks, You know he's up to 53.7% shooting from deep on the season. Third best in the league. I don't know, I continue to be amazed by how much he's grown over the years. Think about how overwhelmed he was in that playoff series versus Philly two years ago. I asked uh, Nets guard Landry Schammett, who is acquired in a trade this offseason, to be like Harris Light off the bench, but you know... Seems to have lost his confidence. Anyway, I asked Landry about Harris, and here's the clip. Hi, Landry. Uh, you're a great three-point shooter, but so I imagine you pay attention to others around the league. You play with one in Joe Harris. He was six for eight today. What, you're seeing him up close for the first time. What impresses you the most about it? Um, I mean, he's he does everything picture perfect, uh, from his feet to his uh, his shot prep before the shot. You know, he... he he moves with the best of them uh, in the league. He's always
0: moving, finding spots. Uh, really smart, smart player. Uh, knows how to how to play and how to play off of good players like Kevin and Kyrie. Um, you know he's a talent. He's a weapon for us. And when he gets hot like tonight, you know it it it
1: you know makes a world a difference for us. So uh, we we love when he's he's knocking them down like that. Good stuff there from Landry Shamit. So I got one more thing before I get to Mike Mazio, and that's a little Jeff Green appreciation. You know, I said it before earlier in the show, and I've been saying it since the preseason, really. You know, when Nash kept talking about how Houston used him at the five. This guy can play the four. He just helped throttle Ben Simmons into a four for 13 shooting night. And here's Jared Allen again with a short clip talking about Jeff Green. Hey, Jarrett, uh, you've been spending a lot of time on the court with Jeff Green. Can you just describe the impact he's had defensively and maybe describe some of the subtle things he does or did to hold Ben Simmons in check?
0: Uh, Jeff has been great. He's really knowledgeable on defense. He's been in the league for 28 years, so he knows a lot of the defensive schemes. So just being having him out there, he's smart. He helps us out. He tells us where to be. Uh, Just his presence, I feel like, brings us to a whole nother level.
1: 28 years? That's the only reason I shared that one. You know, Alan is great with the media, but it's kind of hard to get a lot of substantive stuff from him. But you know who does bring you substantive stuff? That would be Mike Mazio, who is filling up the Forbes website with some very interesting articles on our beloved Nets. Mike was gracious enough to talk to me before last night's game, so a little disclaimer here. Some of my takes didn't age too well. Anyway, here's my conversation with Mike Mazio. So grateful to have as my special guest today the very insightful freelance columnist working for Forbes now. Really a must-read for all Nets fans, some with whom I go way back to that first season in Brooklyn. Mike Mazio is on the line. Thanks, Mike. Give me some time today, especially in these trying times.
0: Steve, my pleasure, man. Uh, always happy to do this, and uh, thanks a lot for having me.
1: Well, I, I got to say I want to, John, because you've been pretty spot on with your analysis through the early part of this Nets season, and, and it's kind of funny. The one that you did most recently, you know, it did touch on politics, but nothing that affects people other than this uh, little small subset of Nets fans here. And, of course, I'm talking about the internal politics That led to DeAndre DeAndre Jordan starting over Jared Allen at center. And, you know, I don't think you'll find a Nets fan who disagrees with your take that, you know, Allen deserves to start on merit. But I want to ask if you also agreed that Allen does struggle against, you know, the bully ball centers. We're recording this before the Philadelphia game. So in the unlikely event that Allen eviscerates Joel Embiid, you know, like he did Rudy Gobert the other day, you know, go ahead, call me an idiot, but otherwise, like, persuade me that I'm wrong. That this should be like a matchup thing going forward.
0: No, I mean, I think that's that's completely fair. I mean, look, in my column, I probably could have said that. You know, I was actually thinking about that. Oh, should I add this line? You know, that you know, in the case of, of playing a Joel and being a, a big guy, you know, if Jared can't hang with them, you know, DeAndre is obviously a nice um, other option to have. But I but I just feel like you know, uh, Jared Allen has been the best center on the team for a long time. And I remember going back to last season and Kenny Atkinson really struggling um, with that decision. I I think there was a game early in the season. I don't remember exactly when it was, but I remember, you know, Nets coaches have this thing where they don't want to reveal their lineup for whatever reason, as if that matters, you know what I mean? It it probably doesn't matter, but, uh, you know,
1: Don't you know that that Bruce Brown changed everything? You know, that surprise. Right. 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 You you know, know, the Jordan, the the Jordan.
0: Yeah. Phil Jackson's bulls, you know, they would never give their lineup out before the game. You know, they they are, uh, you know, Steve Kurds, warriors, whoever, you know, all these dynasty teams are just like uh, roll the ball out. We're going to play our best guys and try and beat us. And you probably can't, but anyway, that's, that's, that's beside the point. Uh, Just, just going back to the Kenny thing. I mean, you know, he, he took a while, you know, he doesn't give out his lineup Then you see up Jared Allen's in, in there, you know, and, and, and that's the way that he decided to do it. Probably knowing, you know, I'm going to get some pushback. Right. I mean, you know, the whole thing was DeAndre Jordan signed with the Nets, you know, to play with his friends, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, kind of came as a package deal. Um, their agents were talking, you know, before free agency about how we're going to make this work. You know, if these guys want to play together, how do we make this whole thing work financially? So eventually they all picked the Nets and Sean Marks and his, you know, front office salary number crunches are able to, you know, do some cap gymnastics. So oh, we'll throw, you know, some bonuses in for, for Katie and Kyrie. So DeAndre can get his 10 million a year. And so he signs his four-year deal and everybody's happy. You know and then you have Jared Allen who was developed by the nets he's one of their kind of like identity players who was there you know in brooklyn when when times weren't great and they they did a great job developing him and he's he's a really solid player he's 22 and you know already this this uh, you know this this offseason he had to deal with his name being in james harden talks you know we know the nets and rockets talked obviously it didn't go anywhere but certainly why would they not want a 22 year old center uh, still on his rookie contract i mean that makes perfect sense right so then, you know, he doesn't get his contract extension because they go to that um, December 21st deadline doesn't happen now. So he's going to be a restricted free agent. So he's, he's got a lot of incentive financially to have a huge year. Played really well in the bubble when DeAndre got COVID and didn't make the trip to Orlando. And, you know, throughout all this. Right. I mean, the day that day after Kenny gets fired, uh, DeAndre goes back in the starting lineup. You know, you know, he wasn't happy. I mean, sources have confirmed it. But I mean, you could just look right like one one day the young kid is starting the next day, the veteran who's been unhappy is starting, you know, you know exactly what's going on right there. Um, so
1: I do think though, sorry to cut you off. I just, no, no, no. Uh, I just want to point out that, you know, I've said this before at that time, Allen was in a slump and Jordan was playing, you know, like 18 to 20 minutes in a row because Atkinson didn't trust Jared Allen down the stretch of games. You remember probably the most, Obvious one was the Boston game where Jordan comes in, like let's say four minutes to go in the third quarter plays the last four minutes, all 12 minutes of the fourth quarter and all the overtime, you know, maybe, you know, sits out for a possession or, or two when they, when they needed, when Levert needed a three to tie it or got fouled. Anyway, the point is, is that Allen what did not have earned the job on merit at the end of last season before the hiatus, afterwards obviously he you know he evolved got better in the bubble and he's clearly better now
0: right okay well whatever you know that's like nitpicking great uh you know okay i, I don't know every exact minute breakdown this, that, the <laughs> other, but uh you know I, I still would say i don't know what the sample sizes you're talking about or whatever but i would still say jared allen deserved to start the whole year even if he had a little bit of a lull okay whatever i uh, still the better player more mobile you know uh yes, there's times where he did struggle against guys, right? Like Rudy Gobert had, had killed him until he had this statement game. And Joel Embiid had, had, had beat him up in the playoffs. No question, you know, but he's 21 years old. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, he was probably still in college at, at that point. If he had gone to college, right. uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you know, if he hadn't declared early on, right. If he had stayed the full four years in college, I mean, so anyway, whatever, getting back to the point, obviously, you know, uh, has a great thing in the bubble and then Steve Nash comes in and, and things go back to normal, right. Where, where Kyrie and, Katie, you're going to get their friend back in the starting lineup. It's just, that's just how it goes, you know, even on, on merit. And then, you know, Deandre, uh, Deandre's minutes eventually get cut, right? I think he played like 15 minutes on Sunday and then got four fouls four minutes Tuesday. So yeah, I mean, Deandre could come back against those guys, like you're saying, but ultimately like the majority of the time, you, you know, Jared Allen should just start. I mean, he and Kyrie have a really nice thing to pick and roll going and, um, you know, he's, he's blocking Brudy Gobert's shots. And I mean, Brudy Gobert killed him last year. I mean, he dominated him. I think Jared had like eight points and two rebounds. All of a sudden he's got, he's got 19 and 18 in three quarters and, you know, and you're just saying, wow, this kid's really good. You know, he just went about his business. He put his head down through all this stuff. James Harden, the contract, everything, you know, he's never going to complain on a team full of guys who have big egos. Understandably he's the guy that's going to be quiet, play video games, and then go out there and and block shots and be willing to take on anybody at the rim, you know, which is, which is so impressive, do the little things. uh, And uh, you know, is a really nice fit for them. And then we'll see obviously what happens, whether they, whether they go back any, any quote unquote third star, they're going to try to acquire. He's going to be the piece that, that all these teams want at 22. Again, you know, being able to probably sign him long-term or flip him. you know, um, he'd be a, a, an asset, a prime asset any team would want, or you know, a, a guy that's a building block that the Nets can keep. Yeah, all
1: right. I'll, I'll move on. I mean, because we agree more often than not, and and I was so glad to see that now I'm no longer the only person, you know, who, who had voice concerns about Steve Nash learning this job on the fly. Uh, your previous article, uh, you know, we both kind of had the same idea, you know. Before you know, after that loss to Washington on Sunday, and the thing is, you wrote your article right after, and I was stuck covering the lousy Jets, and figured (laughs) I could wait till after the Utah game. I mean, what could possibly change, right? And of course, as you know, I had to do a nifty pivot. You know, did that particular game change anything in your mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, like you know, it was that the thing that was just the strangest part about. The whole thing was the, the defensive breakdowns and Kyrie calling a timeout, being like, like, dude, we need to turn things around here. You know, Steve likes to play through. He usually likes to pocket his timeouts. He actually called the timeout, I think, in the second quarter against Utah. I think Utah was on like a 7 0 run. He called the timeout and it swung the momentum. I was like, great, you know, this is good. This is like growth. You know, either you're trying to do something no one's no coach has ever pulled off. You know what I mean? Because coaches <laughs> don't do that. They don't let their teams play through. I get it.
1: Chuck He's Daly on, on the, dream team, right? Chuck right, Daly yeah, the dream team, right? Chuck Daly on the
0: that's, dream team. Right, and that's fine. You know, that's the dream team, right? The Nets aren't the dream team. No offense. I mean, they're a good team, but whatever. So, you know, that was that was growth, right? Like, changing his starting lineup up, uh, regardless of if he revealed it five minutes before, 30 minutes before, like, the group worked really well. Like, Bruce Brown, who I thought, even when the Nets got him, was going to start, you know, they didn't play him. They, they obviously thought he was an, a huge offensive liability. Here he is kind of taking some ball handling duties away from Kyrie, driving to the rim. Yeah, he doesn't have a shot, but, like, he's a big body guy. He can, he can D up a Donovan Mitchell, so that was, you know, a really good move. Again, putting Jared in there, he has the, probably the best game of his career. So, yeah, like, Steve was able to make the adjustments that you thought, you know, I mean, how long is he going to ride this out? You know, he's dealing with, uh, you know, KD going down with COVID um, for a week, and then Spencer, unfortunately, being out for this season. So, like, there's a lot of things that are hitting him. And then Kyrie says, you know, we need a timeout here. Like, how can we keep... How can I keep getting bullied inside? As one scout told me, like this is, Kyrie must be thinking to himself, this is BS. You know, he's getting killed inside. How often is he going to get switched on? A 6'8, 6'10 guy is going to dunk over him before he's going to say, you know, how let's Let's make some sort of adjustment here. Uh, we can't continue to let this happen. So, you know, defensively it was always going to be the key. I mean, I know he has Jock Vaughn as his defensive coordinator, but Steve's going to take the hit because his team is built to win the title in the next two or three years. If they don't, it's a failure. And here he is coming in. You know, you hope he's the next Steve Kerr. Uh, but what if he's not, not the next you know?
1: Jason Kidd, right?
0: Uh, well, whatever. Jason, I think you could argue, did a really nice job after everything that happened early on. They were, what, 34 and 17. And then they, they played the heat down to the wire and probably could have won like two or three of those games. You know, again, yeah, to your point, maybe if, if Jason's not a rookie, he makes those adjustments in those games. It didn't happen. But Jason did a nice job after, after all the early turmoil. And, and, you know, had the team playing with an identity and the proper lineup with Livingston and, and Garnett and, and, and Pierce, you know, in the front court. But he did does a really nice does job. Does he make
1: that switch if Brooke Lopez doesn't get hurt?
0: I don't know, but a lot of teams, you know what I mean? Like Steve's making these lineup changes now because Spencer got hurt. So who knows, you know, who knows how that goes? You just you just play the hand you're dealt. You know what I mean? Like who knows what happens? We we don't know if, if he would have done that if Brooke was, you know, healthy. But Brooke got hurt, just like Spencer got hurt. You know, so maybe the Nets... Somehow, and I'm not saying they will, they somehow benefit because Steve kind of finds a combination that works that he would have never found if Spencer was healthy. You know, again, is that is that makes sense? I don't know, but you know, anyway. The point is, Steve did a really nice job, obviously, of making those adjustments in this game. You know, he he, uh, you know, I obviously didn't expect. I don't think anybody did that he would he would kind of flip the whole lineup, and whether you know this continues to work going forward, who knows? You know, but hopefully, just get Kevin Durant back next week. And then, you know, you have two superstars and you kind of just figure out your other three pieces and, you know, you go to war with it because the whole point was getting these impact guys that could take that last shot and, and dominate in the fourth quarter. Now they have those guys, right? So it's all on Steve to make it work and you're going to be dealing with injuries and, and whatever else, you know, and, and you got to kind of figure it out. And, you know, if they don't win a title in the next two to three years, it's it's a bust. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really all on him. He's got good assistance around him, but, you know, he at the end of the day, the Bucks going to stop with him if, in fact, they don't get it
1: done. Talking with uh, Mike Mazio, freelance writer who's been on fire at Forbes lately. Uh, so, Mike, let's get to the most juicy piece—the one where you chronicled how the Nets ended up with Sean Marks as the general manager. You know, it was about five years ago.
0: So, folks, if you haven't yeah, already, five... right? I think it's five years ago three days actually.
1: Yeah. So, folks, if you haven't already, you should go all online after this podcast and check it out so anyway was this something that took you a while to research or do you have already have bits and pieces in your back pocket from those days
0: and right well oh sorry no. the,
1: other, I- the other question is well i don't want you to give the whole story away i want people to go click on it for you uh just give the folks a nugget in the story that you think you know is still underreported or maybe underappreciated
0: or I'll, I would say this, like, you know, I covered the Nets for six years at ESPN.com um, and, you know, went through all the, the KG Pierce stuff. And, you know, then I, as it was winding down, obviously they, they were going into rebuild. And uh, so the final thing I covered really was that was that GM search. And a lot of the stuff that I got, we kind of knew, you know what I mean? Like the Calipari meeting we sort of knew a lot of people were saying this happened, you know what I mean? And, and at the time it was firmly denied. We didn't go with it obviously, but you know, to learn that it did in fact happen, um, you know, and that only like Dmitry Razumov, Mikhail Prokhorov and, and um, Brett Yormark who wanted Cal, you know, as he said, uh, according to sources in that meeting, you know, he's the only one that can save us at the time. Right. But Cal wanted 10 years, 120 million in the dual role. And, you know, Prokhorov didn't want to do that. He wanted separate people. Obviously that became Sean and Kenny. Um, you know that was something that again, like a lot of these pieces, sort of knew or just didn't have the time to report because I was, you know, I was. I eventually got put on the Toronto Raptors and they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, so a lot of things I couldn't really follow up on because I was almost, almost covering a new team. Um, so you know, it was cool to put the pieces together because that was a really big. That was the only thing I was covering with that team at the time. It was like I don't think I ever talked to Tony Brown because the team was. I don't want to say they were just worthless because that's that's the wrong word to use, but you know what I mean. Like in the grand scheme of things, the they were terrible. Wise, they were terrible, right? So you knew, like, what am I chasing here? I'm chasing the guy that's got to turn this around, and it's probably going to take them 10 years because they don't have any draft assets. And they're going to, you know, if they get a draft pick, they're going to be picking late because Boston's got, you know, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, and, and who do the Nets have? You know what I mean? They got nothing. They got to try to build around Thad and Brooks. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff, you know, was was just it was just fascinating, like, the factions that went into it, right? Um, you know, that, that one person wanted uh, – you know, Dimitri wanted Brian Colangelo and Irina Pavlova and Sergei Kishchenko really liked Sean Marks, you know, and Kale Prokhorov was kind of silent throughout the whole thing. So they they had to piece that together, right? Like Brett Yormarks mm. off, you know, a couple of them in the search committee are having that secret meeting with Cal, you know, and who knows, maybe that goes well and that's who they hire and who knows where they are. So, you know, and, and even down to the, the, the All Star weekend right before they hired Sean, you know, Dimitri really liked Brian Colangelo and met with him in Toronto because that's where Colangelo lived, you know, and then by the end of it, Bob Myers and and RC Buford and several other executives were able to kind of convince Dimitri to say, you know, this is really the guy you should hire. Make sure you give him total control because you guys have have messed that up, right? You guys have kind of interfered with your executives before um, and been short-sighted in your vision or really didn't have a vision. So if you pick this guy and give him exactly what he wants, you know, he can be the guy that turns it around for you. And so, you know, it was, it was obviously, like I said, it was interesting to put all the pieces together. I don't mind, you know, disclosing a bunch of the story as whatever, but, you know, check it out. Like I said, there's there's a lot of, yeah. I guess, I just, interesting details that have never been reported, maybe then, obviously the deal almost falls apart at the end.
1: Yeah, I just so, wanted yeah. to get a clarification on that part. You know, when Prokhorov did his who's he routine, uh, you know, and people thought, "Uh oh, he there, there's something's going on. Do you think that was a negotiating ploy? Because you also mentioned that they really lowballed him. Or do you think that Prokhorov was just out of
0: the loop? No, I'm sure he was in the loop, and maybe, like you said, maybe he did know at the time, but, you know, the fact that they had gotten the right guy, right, had done all this, had spent $90 million in luxury taxes, you know, NBA record, a couple seasons before, and here they are, like, lowballing everybody. I mean, at the time they paid Kenny, I think he was the lowest-paid coach in the league. Um, and obviously didn't have the experience necessarily to merit more, but just the idea of them, you know, paying Sean, Basically what he was making in San Antonio is RC Buford's number two or trying to, and then saying, well, you know, how, how is that going to work? That's he's, he's getting a promotion and job, but he's not getting promotion and money. Like doesn't make any sense. Right. So they basically had to like double his salary from like, you know, a little over one to a little over two, I think to get to four years, 9 million ish, you know, and, and it was, like I said, you know, you go through that whole search process, right. You narrow it down from like, whatever it was like over a dozen candidates, bring in like seven or eight people to formal interviews. Um, and then you figure out who your guy is, and then all of a sudden, you know, if they had lost him, it was going to probably be Colangelo, and we know what happened with Colangelo, unfortunately, with the, <laughs> with the with the burner account in Philly, like
1: yeah, and you have to get his wife. Know. His wife was part of the package, right?
0: Right, like it had had this like Sam Hinkie gave him the world basically. It was like here's two like superstar level players, and then a bunch of cap space, you know. And Then he kind of had to spend it on, like Jared Bayless or whatever they spent it on. It was a mess, mm-hmm. right? So then, like at the end of it all. Uh, you know, then he, he loses his job. Alan Brand comes in. Finally, you know, now Daryl Morey's got these, these two stars and, and, you know, obviously has done a nice job, at least in the early going, is surrounding them with shooting they had best record in the East. But yeah, it's interesting to think like what would have happened if, if they had lost Sean after all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was really, like you said, Steve, it was really cool to just kind of put the pieces together of everything. And, uh, I really, you know, I really enjoyed the story. It was, it was nice to, uh, to do like a longer form investigative piece like that.
1: Well, that was a great read, Mike. I've got a couple of more for you, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, of course. So, you know, Mark's
1: obviously scored a coup, no pun intended, you know, when he got KD and Kyrie, you know, last offseason. But, you know, I think even he acknowledges that the job isn't finished yet. So what do you think his next step should be? I mean, we talked about, you know, James Harden and the so-called third star, or, you know, maybe something not as excited, exciting, maybe something more targeted.
0: Right, like when I wrote that piece about defense, I think that was the one before. Like I think I went, wrote run about Kevin Durant, you know, the Steve Nash one, whatever. Like I said, what is this team like lacking? And I think they probably know is like they don't have, you know, size, toughness. They obviously added to that in their starting lineup with the Jazz, so we'll kind of see how those players, if they keep them in, like a Bruce Brown, who's a bigger, thicker guy, um, you know, is he going to continue playing? Is he going to continue kind of trying to defend those those really big wing guys? Um, that's going to be interesting. But you know, I thought. Everyone's talking about James Harden, obviously, and this idea of it is still interesting. Certainly the idea of having like three guys that can score 50 on any given night is is really intriguing. And I think Spencer's absence kind of changes the equation perhaps with that. Um, But, you know, what's the one player like they could use? And I was saying like, you know, uh, PJ Tucker went to Texas like Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant called him the best one-on-one defender in the NBA. I'm not saying the Rockets are, like, going to trade him or whatever, and he might have to come in a, in a James Harden package if that was a thing. Um, but, you know, he's kind of like a guy, like, they could switch with, you know, doesn't need the ball, you know, uh, could shoot the corner three. Like, that's the kind of guy they need. I'm not sure if there's another, you know, is there another player like that, a lesser version, or do they need, a, you know, a bigger four where they can play Kevin Durant at three because they don't want him to get, you know, take that brutal pounding inside if he's playing a guy like John Collins who's going to back him in. Um, you know, that's, that's possible, but yeah, like that, that, that player that has the intangibles like PJ Tucker, where it can bring leadership and defense, you know, and and sort of camp out in the corner on offense and let, you know, Kyrie and Kevin operate with, with optimal spacing, um, you know, that, that player could be somebody that they, you know, or that arch, you know, arch type of, of player, um, could be something that they're interested in, but then, yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly you could see Sean saying, you know what, let's just go for it. You know, let's let's try to re-engage Houston with, you know, the Levert, uh, Allen, Dinwiddie picks, you know, kind of package. I could certainly see him going down that avenue too, because again, they have, you know, two or three years to win this thing with those guys having player options. You never know, right. It could end up like the Clippers where it's, you know, they did sign Paul George, but you know, they had a a second round flame out and now all of a sudden, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard is going to be a, you know, potentially be a free agent, opt out or whatever, maybe he'll stay because he's from LA, but you know, you never know. Right. So, you know, this year is, is really super important when it comes to that and they're going to have to make a decision on Jared, you know, where they want to pay him or they want to trade him. And then they got to make a decision on, on, you know, Spencer, do they, do they give up the asset, you know, don't that he's obviously rehabbing, but they, you know, he could come back next year and maybe he'll opt in. So those are the two guys that really Jared and Spencer are the ones that, you know, you kind of wonder like, what's, what's going to happen with them. Um, but, you know, Sean's got, he's got options and, you know, he's going to need, like you said, Steve, he's going to need, you know, a Torian Prince to step up and play well, or a Landry Shamit to find his shot and his confidence. Um, because as, as great as, as Kevin and, and Kyrie have been, you know, you need those other supporting cast players to step up. So, you know, we'll see, he's got avenues and, it uh, should be fascinating to see what he, what he decides to do. Cause they do have some holes.
1: Yeah. We agree. And, you know, get, gets me into this last one because, you know, this, it's going to be a strange year, you know, the virus, you know, wrecking havoc on player availability, condensed schedule, you know, increasing the risk of injuries. So you got to load manage and, you know, there's the lack of fans kind of negates home court advantage. So, you know, the depth is important. So how do you rank the Nets depth in terms of their ability to withstand all these kinds of disruptions? You know, are you believer in this depth or you think it's overrated?
0: I think it's important, you know what I mean? But I, I think I liked it a lot better. I'm sure every Nets fan would say this. Every Nets executive would say this. Every pundit would say this. With, with Dinwiddie, you know, if they had, you know, that guy where, like, hey, Kyrie and Kevin are both going to take the night off. So now Spencer moves into that lead ball handling role. And maybe they would have decided, you know, and I thought this going into the year, that, like, both Spencer and Karras would come off the bench. Like, Bruce Brown or whoever, you know, uh, TLC would start. You know, both those guys would come in. They would kind of work together, Whatever. So, like, losing that piece, a guy who can score 20 and, you know, if Kyrie goes down, I mean, that was the thought going into the year was, like, Kyrie's injury prone. So, if he misses 20 to 30 games, boom, they can just put Spencer right in, plug and play Spencer with, with, uh, you know, Kevin Durant in the first unit and then keep Karis Livert coming off the bench. Um, You know, that's obviously been kind of an up-and-down experience where Karis sometimes, if his shot goes early on, you know, he could be dominant like he was against Utah. And then you have that three-game stretch where he averages eight points. Um, right. he's streaky. So, They're all right. these guys are streaky, whether right, it's, like Tory you know, Prince will power. have 12, right, exactly, exactly. I'm sorry to cut you off.
1: Yeah, well, it that's the point is that, uh, do, how do you rate them? I mean, do you think that this depth is you know capable of keeping them in games where Kyrie and KD sit, or are they going to go 0 7 in the first half of the season?
0: <laughs> you mean, oh, you mean in back to backs, yes. Well, they might have to play, I mean, the bottom line is they might have to play Kyrie and some of those back-to-backs, like they might not be able to sit both. Like, I totally think sit Kevin, you know what I mean? Ke- your goal is like for Kevin to be healthy come game one of the playoffs. Then hopefully by that point, all the restrictions, you know, there doesn't even seem like there's any restrictions, right? He's already playing like 38 minutes a night anyway, but you know, that he would be able to give you 38 to 40 minutes for, you know, as ever many games you're going to play might, maybe, maybe 20 or more. If you're, if you're fortunate, you make a deep run, but um, yeah, that Kyrie may not be able to have that luxury of you're going to sit out all these games, right? Um, because Karras doesn't have enough help, um, so you know it's not it's just not as good. But I mean, that was going to happen with any team. I mean, you take right. off you take off a great role player on you know you take like Kuzma away from the Lakers or whoever whoever Marcus Morris away from the Clippers or whoever like some guy you know that's Montrez Harrell away from the Lakers, some guy who's like phenomenal who could win the Sixth Man of the Year or start like Dinwiddie could do both. I mean, that's going to that's gonna hurt your depth. I mean, how many, how many teams are going to be able to deal with, withstanding, you know, losing a 20-point-per-game guy? The Nets have to do that. Fortunately, they have three other guys that are capable uh, of carrying the load, um, at least, you know, if not, like a sham that steps up and scores 20 once in a while or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, their depth's going to take a huge hit without Spencer. That's just the bottom line, regardless of if he was struggling, you know, kind of acclimate himself into the starting lineup. They probably do need a piece or two still. And you know, I mean, when Kyrie said, we're probably a piece or two away, even with Kevin coming back, the players they added, I mean, you know, Shamit's a, a really nice player. And Jeff Green is a really nice player. He's given them some versatility can start, you know, if they want to go small, he's a really nice fit. Um, but, you know, they still, I don't know, you know, did he, did he, when he said that piece or two away thing, did he mean like, you know, like a real impact guy, like a, a James Harden or a Bradley Beal or whoever, you know, whatever that, that third guy is that, that really impact Max deal guy. Or did he mean, you know, around the the fringes of the PJ Tuckers or whoever they want to get, you know, really nice impact role guys. Um, So I do think they need something at some point, you know what I mean? But because they're going, you know, all in for this thing, I I would expect to do something. You know, like I said, I mean, I don't, right now, they might just want to see it out. Maybe somebody does emerge and they're like, they feel a lot better about things. I mean, like Lualo Cabarro, you know, last year, you're like, why are they playing this guy so much when Kenny's putting him in all the time? And then you see him and he's, defending the other team's best player. fitting in nicely in the starting lineup. Let's not you know, go there. Uh, a key piece making, I think.
1: I'm not a TLC guy. I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, I just, I, but on your general point, I do agree that, uh, you know, that they have a lot of pieces. It's just a question of whether or not they need more uh, guys who can score, who can, well, I won't say score, but who can facilitate offense. Like a Jordan Clarkson.
0: All right, whoa, whoa, you-
1: Yeah. Go ahead.
0: That's fine. I need to know what your what the problem is with TLC quickly. Not saying he's like this, a superstar so player, overrated. but like fit as like the thirteenth guy off the bench that can all of a sudden. He's
1: not the thirteenth guy on the bench. If he was, of course, he'd be he'd be terrific. But when you put him in the starting lineup, when Spencer Dinwiddie goes down, yeah, that's going to cause problems because he's he's a very streaky shooter. He'll go four for four and then miss his next twelve. You know, defensively, he he does not. Uh, stick with guys. He 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 tries. He gives effort, diligent, but his, his arms are down. People shoot over him all the time. They hunt him out the way they hunt Joe Harris out, and they sometimes hunt Kyrie out. They needed. They need someone who could either in that spot. They need someone who could defend better. And Prince has been Prince was fine the other day in that role, and. The, you know he was he wasn't as good when he was a power forward. When he was playing next to Jeff Green as power forward, you know he did fine. You know against the Utah Jazz. Let's see what he, what happens today when he, he has to guard Tobias Harris. That could be different.
0: I uh, that's that's all fair, very fair. I should have been asking you because you were Pat. You are fired up about this. I just think yeah, that's you know, fine. You're gonna lose Spencer Dinwiddie, but, but you know what, like him. you're gonna whoever you replace him with.
1: We're, we're, we agree more often than not you gave me great stuff today um i really missed our pregame chats at Barkley center so you know i i i appreciate you coming on with me today and you know best of luck you know getting your insights out there uh you know you know i'll be clicking on them right now you do a great job at forbes and I, I recommend everyone go on and click on his uh last three articles in particular but you could probably go back further mike thank you very much
0: steve my pleasure thanks so much
1: so thank you again to mike mazio of forbes and i guess before i sign off i should probably explain one of the topics we discussed a little bit further and no it's not tlc i mean every time the guy makes a shot i hear about it you know mike dm me during last night's game folks he went three for eight two for seven from three My lord, you'd think he was lighting it up like Joe Harris. Yes, you know, he made a couple of nice plays, including some on the defensive end. But did you notice how many buckets he surrendered going under screens for guys like Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton? I don't have the tracking stats yet on NBA.com, but, you know, as I wrote in that WFAN.com article, in the games through last week, when he was the closest defender, his man was shooting 50% from the field and from behind the arc. So thanks, Mike, for getting me all riled up about TLC again. Anyway, what I really wanted to talk about was this whole Alan-Jordan situation and what Mike wrote is true, at least as far as I know. You know, how KD and Kyrie lobbied for Jordan to start and that kind of contributed to Kenny Atkinson getting fired. But, you know, like I said to Mike, they weren't really wrong about it last year. It wasn't until the bubble that Alan really came on and I've talked before how there was a long stretch where Atkinson used to have to play Jordan like 20 minutes in a row to finish games because he couldn't trust Allen. But, you know, I get that's clearly different now. And it's not even close. You know, if Allen could play this well consistently, you know, Jordan can't be on the court more than 15 minutes a game. And that includes against guys like Embiid. I mean, Allen held his own. So who knows how that'll play with the politics between Nash and Jordan's buddies. But we'll all be watching. So yeah, I mentioned politics on the show, but nothing you listeners couldn't handle. So thanks for tuning in on radio.com, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using. And thanks again to special guest Mike Mazio of Forbes for his contribution. I should be back next week, either before or after the big rivalry game with the Knicks. Who knows, maybe I'll give my old co-host John Schmelke a call, do a City Game bank shot crossover. I'll keep you guys posted on my Twitter account. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.